just a quick reminder to always check if this is something you need to always go to the show notes on your podcast app to check the trigger warnings because I cannot warn you specifically every single time before the episode. So please go there and check the trigger warnings if there is something that you find uncomfortable, something you want to miss out on. Mostly because I am not as educated on trigger warnings as I should be. Whereas my incredible editor, Dave, the wonderful Dave, takes notes when listening to the episodes and writes down what all of the potential triggers are. So that is way more reliable than hoping that I will say it in the beginning. So please, if that is something that is a risk to you, please do uh, go and see the show notes. And um, yeah, just take care of yourself. Enjoy this episode. The unifying thing that I think is great about gender nonconformity and being non-binary is that a lot of people and the people that kind of say, I don't understand, don't realize that it benefits everyone. So I think one way to try and create that dialogue and, and showcase that it's not just for this very secular group of people that I think they think it is, is to question them in a nice way on how they perform their gender. You are listening to Made of Human, also known as the Mopad, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopad. Trying to find out Mopad. how to do life. Mopad. I am sorry for having missed so many weeks of episodes. It's because I've been moving house. It's better now. I'm almost there. Uh, well, I thought I was almost there. And then my internet completely died, which made recording episodes much harder. So you're going to get two quite close to each other, I believe, uh, in this week and the next. But then it will go back to normal, hopefully. Fingers crossed. All of those things. So... This episode is with the incredible Jamie Windust, a non-binary writer, campaigner, overall incredible human being. If you don't already know them, go and watch their TEDx talk on YouTube. Go and pre-order their book. Look them up. Look everything up that they've ever spoken about. They're one of my favorite people. And we had such a lovely chat this morning. Uh, even though I was so late because I suddenly had to set up all of my equipment in the living room because the Wi-Fi wasn't working. So uh, I will let you listen to this episode in a, just a tiny second. If you want to see one of my live online shows on the 20th of October at 8pm, I will do an online show about shame called Do You Have No Shame? You can get tickets on sophiehagen.com forward slash online show. Just go to soberhagen.com and you can click from there. But it's going to be a very fun show. Uh, I will include some of the answers to the extra questions that I usually ask the guests, which is only available to Patreons, Patre Patreon supporters, patrons. Uh, the, I have not asked people for permission yet, but I will. It is going to be a lot of story, a lot of stories about shame and about embarrassment. And we are just going to be talking about all of the cringe worthy stuff. And I want to hear your stories. I want to hear what you have done that you are deeply ashamed of. And then I think we should just all have a, have a good old chat about it. That is on October the 20th at 8 p.m. I would love to see you there. Tickets on sovihagen.com. Now, 
I just want to let you listen to this episode with the incredible Jamie Windust. Are you okay to start? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm also enjoying we we're on the same color scheme. Oh. <laughs> so we both have a hairy pillows, yellow hairy pillows. <laughs> I didn't want to disclose that with you Sophie, but I have a hairy pillow. Hmm. Are you flirting this early in the morning? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I'm so glad to be talking to you again. Where? Okay, let's just start. For people who might not have heard the other episode, for anyone who's been buried under a, a pile of whatever and have not heard of you yet, would you like to introduce yourself? I shall, and I will. I will allow them to not have known. That's fine. We all make mistakes. Um, I am Jamie Windust. I am a editor, writer, and cultural commentator, and soon to be author, which we're pretending is not happening. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I'm currently being very casual with you, Sophie, on my sofa on a Sunday morning with a cup of tea. It's very lovely. I like the vibe. The power of Zoom. The power of Zoom. How, where are we meeting you right now in life? Because now we know you're on your sofa with a cup of tea and it's a Sunday, I'd say, morning. What, in life, in general, where are we meeting you? Wow, a great question. Um, so I am 23. I am, it's been quite a while since we last had a proper chat. Mm. Uh, a lot's changed. A lot has happened. Um, I'm currently getting ready to release my book. I'm working with Gay Times, which is an amazing opportunity. And I feel I feel a lot more established since last time. I think that when we last... <clears throat> do apologize. When we last spoke, um, I was a baby. And I still like to think of myself as a, as a mild baby. Um, a mild baby, not a spicy one. Um, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It just feels a lot. I feel a lot more, more grounded now. Um, I've had a lot of a lot more life thrown at me, but um, yeah, you're meeting me in a more grounded place. When you think of yourself, what is this? Is it a year and a half, two years, something? Or even just when you think about yourself two years ago. How do you see yourself? Because I, when I see myself two years ago, I was just so angry and it was just all this anger that I was just putting out there. <clears throat> and Because I also feel a lot calmer and more grounded now. So how do, how do you see Jamie two years ago? I think two years ago was, um, I was only just kind of starting my, my career and I was very much a yes person. I was saying yes mm-hmm. to everything. I was kind of not necessarily knowing where I wanted to go. Um, And I think now, um, specifically like this very, very recently, I feel like I'm in a period of um, reinvention, as it were. Um, Of yourself? Yeah, where I'm I'm able to kind of, because I'm grounded and because I I have work is comfortable and I, I am fortunate enough to be able to feel quite content with that, that I'm able to change how I work and not just do 
uh, very trans-specific work and have a lot of more autonomy behind what I'm doing. I think two years ago, I was very much uh, focused on just kind of telling trans stories or my story in a very, uh, not in a very analytical way. I was just kind of being like, yeah, let's spread the message. Whereas actually now it's like, I don't want to do that all the time. <laughs> it's boring. I've got more things <laughs> to talk about than my gender or my body. Do you know what I mean? But has the rest of the rest of the world caught up with that? Like, how, I imagine you're still being asked primarily to talk about that. So, do you feel? Do you sort of wish they would ask you other questions by now? Yeah, I, I think. I think so. And I think it's frustrating because I, I try and showcase more than that in my work. And it's frustrating often to kind of, it, to boil back down to just gender identity. Like um, I was thinking the other day, like when I, because a lot of, I was having a chat with a friend about the term activist. And I think once that phrase is kind of put on someone, all of their passions and all of their aspirations or like career goals are somewhat um, diminished because they are then kind of seen as just this change maker. And it's like, it's very, it's very binary. It's like, well, actually I can do that whilst having a passion for writing or a passion for fashion. Ugh, passion for fashion. I can't believe I just said that. I'm so sorry. Your next book. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you know what I mean? Like having actually other things you talk about. Um, so now when I talk about gender, I do it, I only ever do it on my terms and I'm very selective of when I say yes and when I say no. Um, you might think it's ironic that I've written a whole book about it, but that is an example of it being on my terms and I was very fortunate to be able to just keep it very... Uh, specific to what I wanted to say. I wasn't kind of dragged in any direction. Um, so, yeah. Well, I think, it, I, me personally, I don't think it's ironic at all. I feel like it's it's exactly what it is, isn't it? And I speak on just from having written uh, my book, Happy Fat, is once you've written it and passed it on to the publishers, you have this feeling of, right, I've now said everything. So you, I don't know, it's probably naive to even have the thought, but go, right, so now surely we're ready to talk about other things and other aspects. And because you can just read the book if you want to know any of this, but that's usually not how how the world does work. Because then people go, right, okay, so this is what you're talking about. So let's just ask you all these questions that you've yeah. already answered. Yeah, because exactly. And like, because with your book and like, I think our books are quite similar where it's almost like a reference manual. It's like, if you want to hear me talk about this, buy our books mm. if you want to that's the thing you know with us and people that actively do that type of work with social change it's we do so much free labor that it's like if you want to hear more about it just go and look at the stuff we've done and I don't mean that in an arrogant sense I just mean like we talk about it quite a lot so <laughs> just go yeah. and look at it um yeah I've, I just I hope that I hope that I can move forward and do things I actually enjoy. Not that I don't enjoy talking about gender, but you know, it's it can get quite dry. 
<laughs> what about when you're because <clears throat> it's like gender and gender in itself is ever-changing right it's it can often be fluid and uh very a lot both about how people feel about it but also about what we learn uh do you are there already things that you've said that you wish you maybe not wish you could take back because I don't think we really believe in regret but are there things that you would like to sort of correct yourself on or go oh wait I you know I was a baby I didn't know these things absolutely and there's always you know even with the book um when I wrote in their shoes I wrote it last year um and I finished it at the end of 2019 and even even now looking back at it and when I did the audiobook and I was actually like really going back over it I was like no I was like I think not vastly differently but you know your thoughts evolve and and things like gender are not static so it evolves and I think it's for me I look at I look at my work on gender as a almost like a time stamp of being like okay at this point in time this is how I felt um and I like to hope that in the work that I continue to do when I talk about gender is that it it constantly comes from a more evolved and informed place because you know as I as I speak in in the book about my experience is fairly um in terms of like my upbringing um it's it's a fairly privileged outlook and I had hardship with family but I never had a lot of the kind of real awful times that a lot of people have and learning about that was really interesting and and helped inform why how how I think um I think one one example also of kind of how my thoughts evolved is when I did the passport campaign oh yeah campaign for that thinking about it would you just explain for people who don't know of course yeah so in um about 18 months ago I campaigned for ex passports to be uh made mandatory on official documentation and also in passports so like having an option for people that don't identify as male or female um and kind of over 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 this kind of year and specifically over summer I've really looked into that a lot more and read some amazing resources from people like uh, Nim Ralph, who's an amazing coordinator and uh, activist kind of organiser, about how actually legal documentation and having your identities aligned with government, essentially, is not actually beneficial for all people. It It can hinder a lot of people. It doesn't necessarily include asylum seekers or refugees it can also put you in positions that are more dangerous because then the government are controlling your identity and I think that for me is kind of the best focus for me and the best feeling to be like I was here on this I don't think what I did was wrong however I think what I've what I've learned has meant that I can reflect on it and and think okay moving forward, let's make sure we include this new information in the discussion. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's important for everyone to do in all of their work. Um, but some people are less 
less likely to do that. I well, think. I was about, I mean, that it's, it's so hard to do that. It's so hard to realize that you were not necessarily wrong, but that you've learned more. It's, it's why people still get canceled for, you know, four-year-old tweets or whatever. How, how do you do that? Have you always been able to, I don't even know what the right words are, like t be criticized or be called out or be corrected or because uh, you are a public person. So you are learning publicly, which is, can be very terrifying. Have you always been able to sit back and just sort of deal with it? Or do you know how you found out how to do that? Or I do find it. I do find it quite difficult sometimes if I'm honest. Um, because my my person like at the beginning I found it really difficult because my personal nature with myself is I'm very like I'm my hardest critic so whenever I get feedback that isn't positive at the beginning you know two years ago whenever I would receive feedback that was actually critical but not necessarily negative I would take it as an as you know as an attack and that's obviously something that I've realized is built within systems of privilege. Um, so now I, it's, you know, I'd be doing a disservice with the work that I do if I didn't listen. You know, I'm a white, able-bodied, slim person in this space. And one thing that I've really learned to do is to actually just know when you don't need to be somewhere. Mm. And that was a lot of critique not criticism, but feedback that I received. Um, and, you know, I, it is difficult. It's a difficult thing to do when you, when you work for yourself, when you, you know, when you manage all of your things and you receive quite a lot of criticism. And like you say, when it's, when you're learning in public, it's, it's difficult. And when you see people around you also being dragged through the internet backwards, um, I'm not going to lie and say that it's not scary sometimes. Um, but I wouldn't be able to sit comfortable if I didn't vocalize that learning. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one, but I think it's more than necessary. It's, it's, mm. it's, it's something I just have, have to do, not because yeah. I actively make an effort to do it but it's just it's becoming second nature to just do that now and good. also learning to see because if it's in for example your instagram dms it might be amongst messages that are just hateful and abusive so you might already be in the mode of a bit defensive or dismissive and then suddenly there's a message saying hey you've done this and your instinct is to go oh, i'm being attacked again and then you have to go oh no hold on this is a person with actual genuine good feedback that can make me a better person but it's such a shift you have to do in your head to differentiate those two things from each other yeah absolutely and I think it's 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 different it, it, at the beginning it was difficult to notice that shift but I think now you know for example like over summer I instead of um so an example of of me doing that work was I was working on prize campaigns and working on stuff. And I would, I was getting offers to kind of be in these campaigns and I was like, actually, I don't, I don't need to. So I'm going to, 
I, I would offer the people that were asking me to be in these campaigns, essentially consultancy work to be like, let's take your campaign back to square one. And here's here, like here are people that I love. Here are people that I, that need not exposure, but like, that sounds really patronizing, but people that. It's the other are, way around. It's they need to be exposed to people who need to see them. Right. Yeah. And people that just don't have their story shared and doing that for me was more fulfilling. And also I felt in, on a kind of work basis, I felt like I had elevated my work in a way because I was like, this is what I want to do. You know, I'm, I'm being able to create a campaign here with, you know, national brands to be like, this is representative. So that was all right. That, that was fun. That was cute. Um, it feels like a thing you would need to be quite comfortable. Oh, is comfortable the right word? You'd need to be maybe can't not confident, but it's the it's the fear of um, scarcity or the fear of which I think when when you're a freelance person or when you're um, sort of in this sort of weird industry that we're sort of in turning down opportunities it, this it's very it very easily becomes a, a bit of a scary thing and i guess my question is actually not even about that but it's more about what do you do or what have you done to sort of give yourself the care or the safety feeling of safety perhaps personal safety in your head in order to be able to do that without saying, oh, no, I, I should probably put myself first right now because everything is very scary. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Especially like, especially this year, do you know what I mean? It, especially having, um, you know, so many of us were in March and we just saw our calendars disappear and then they never returned. Um, so it, I try and base that principle of seeing whether or not I should be at the table um, with my kind of checklist in my head is, have I had this conversation before on a different platform? If I have, then it's like, do I need to do it again? Is the audience different? Will the audience, you know, is if the audience is vastly different, um, and I think it's, it's still beneficial for me to be there, then fine. If I think, oh, actually, I've done something very similar to this, then I'll be like, okay, well, I don't need to be there. Um, you know, we both work with the wonderful TEDx London. Yeah. Working with them over summer was a great example of that, where I essentially worked with them to curate an amazing group of people that needed to be seen. And that was a that was a great example of like they wanted we wanted to work together over Pride. I knew that I'd already done work with them I didn't need to be in it um and it was just about showcasing London and the UK's kind of queer scene um it is difficult and I think especially now I try it's it's becoming more hard to always say no um because of financial security because of the world we live in um but I think you just know when you know. When an opportunity comes through, 
you you'll instantly kind of have a gut feeling um you know as two of the most greatest influences in the land um <laughs> me and you Sophie obviously yeah um like I get a lot of offers that come in from like very dodgy companies that I'm like no I'm not you know you just instantly know you're like I need money but I don't need money from Jeff Bezos so no <laughs> I, mean, I was gonna ask you about um your experience at TEDx mm. because obviously your talk was incredible and I sort of because that was the one I was hosting right with Miriam yeah and I couldn't see the the talks at the time so I had to watch it afterwards but I remember being very curious about the audience and how because there were a lot of people in that room mm. and it's a very I remember from doing mine that it's You, it sort of just goes by and then afterwards you're like, oh, I can't believe that just happened because it goes by so quickly. What was your experience with that type of audience? Because that was my fear when I did it. I was like, are they, I, I don't know about what the TEDx London women audience are going to be. And mm -hmm. what was your general experience with, with that? Because I know I, Miriam likes to book people who challenge the audience. Yeah, absolutely. And we, and I've, I, I write about it in the book and I write about it. I speak about it as much as I can because I genuinely do like thank Mariam and thank the team for just honestly creating one of the most nourishing yet like for me personally, like enhancing periods of, of, of work that I've ever done. Um, and I think she was very, and the team were very receptive because the audience and my thoughts on the audience were kind of one of my biggest concerns before I did the talk. I was like, I don't know. I can make an assumption of what your audience is going to be like, but I don't want to assume what they are. Um, however, you know, I'm being, not being a cis woman in that space, my alarm bells are already going off. Not because I, Well, no, truth be told, I do presume that most people were understand. So she really fostered an environment, Mariam, that made me feel comfortable with the audience. Um, saying that, afterwards in the uh, speaker's cafe, when you go, so it's this kind of section where you go outside and kind of like a meet and greet, um, the audience clearly hadn't listened to the talk <laughs> um not everyone um but I had I, 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 I write about it and I distinctly remember like a lot of people and a lot of men also kind of coming up and being like so you talk about allyship in your talk and you talk about needing help but like what does that mean like what do you mean and I think that was quite It was quite upsetting to me, to be honest, because, like, you know, I literally just spent three months working on this talk. You know, one of the biggest moments of my career so far to then go and do that. And then people come up to me and essentially say they didn't understand. Um, but I realized now that it wasn't my job to make them understand. If you got it, you got it. If you didn't, you didn't. Um, what I can hope is that what I said is a catalyst for you to start thinking about something. Um And I just didn't answer that question <laughs> in that, in that bit afterwards. I was like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not good. Like, did you not listen? 
Um, but yeah, I love them and I'm really excited for this for this year. I think it's going to be great. What are the questions or the areas that you of questions you're being asked or the topics you're being asked to talk about where you're like, no, I'm done. Like I'm I'm done with this one. Like you've I've this has been not just been answered by me, but by everyone. Like you should know the answer by now. Yeah, I think the kind of the questions for me are like about that are like what does non-binary mean? Mm. I'm just like this is you know, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Like no one really knows. Um or or that question that people ask, like, how can I be an ally or how can I help or And I, I, when people were asking me that, I flipped it to them and I said, which looking back now is quite ballsy for me to have said this, but I was like, how do you be a nice person? Or I was like, you're essentially asking me how, how are you kind? Or like, how are you like, just compassionate? I don't understand. Like it's just, those types of questions frustrate me because when you boil it down, it is it's literally you're asking me how to look after someone. Um, and I remember that, that that chapter in the book was one of the hardest for me to write. There's a section on allyship. Um, and I vowed to never write about allyship again. Um, but I did. And I found it really difficult because when I was thinking about it and when I was boiling it down, it, and when you actually realise that people, some people cannot find it in themselves to be nice to you because you're different. That was really difficult to kind of sit with um, and not internalize and not be like, Oh my God, is it because of me? Um, and then the other question that I hate, which I got at Ted was how long does it take to do your makeup? Which I was like, I've literally just stood on stage and cried And you <laughs> asking me what lipstick I'm wearing. Um, goodbye. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> go away. <laughs> you, the people who can't figure out, like the people who would ask you basically how to be nice, how to be kind. Is there any part of you that can, maybe not empathize, but can understand that? Because I, what's the alternative the alternative is for us to see them as these aliens that we just don't understand but is mm -hmm. there a way of relating to it in any kind of way is there a way of understanding how some people can feel like that i think the one the, the unifying thing that i try and um that i think is great about gender nonconformity and being non-binary is that it a lot of people and the people that kind of say, I don't understand, don't realize that it benefits everyone. So I think one way to try and uh, create that dialogue and, and showcase that it's not just for this very secular group of people that I think they think it is, is to be like, is to question them in a nice way on how they perform their gender and make them think about it and then kind of question them on what they find stressful about it or if they find anything tricky about it that causes them stress or pain and then being kind of opening their eyes to the fact that 
what I'm doing and what the community are doing makes it easier for people of all genders, not just gender non-conforming people. Um, you know, it breaks down those awful barriers and strict rules of masculinity that, you know, lead to awful mental health situations for men. So it's like, that's kind of my go-to with, with, with people like that. I kind of am like, well, how do you feel about it? Are you ever stressed by it? And then they, when they reflect on it, they're like, oh, yeah, I hate wearing a suit and tie. And it's like, oh, yeah, don't then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, oh, imagine that world. That was a question I was thinking about today. Do you ever think about who you would be in a world that was different? Because right now you're... Huh? What a great question. <laughs> Um, what were you going to say? Are we going to continue? No, I think it's just a, a classic me thing of just saying the same question in 10 different ways, even though you got it the first time. Um, like it's, it's so hard to, to think of ourselves outside of the system that hates us. And sometimes I think about the opportunities Like when when you see people who are sort of the same, but not non-binary or not fat or not, you know, and you kind of go, oh wow, you you had the, the the society gave you the confidence to do that, or they gave you the opportunity to do that, and how much of who I am on like an identity core basis is because of all of this, and yeah, you got it. Who would you be in a in a different world I think I think in a different world and I always see gender as evolving and I think I, had, I remember um, <laughs> uh, on a side note I had this conversation with friends before um, and a lot of them freaked out and lockdown has meant that it's been a great way to just get rid of people that you don't care about anymore um, and I had this conversation with them about gender constantly evolving and, and being different. And I was like, you know, we're talking about it. And they were like, oh, would you ever like transition to be, a, to, you know, to be a, a woman? And I was like, well, I don't know. I was like, I can't say yes or no, because I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, maybe it'd be quite fun. Wouldn't no, I'm joking. Uh <laughs> something to do a new angle um and I think for me in an alternate universe I would I would love to just be a, a sexy woman <laughs> um and I think I love saying stuff like that and I love thinking about stuff like that because it makes people it it really shocks people sometimes because they're like they see me and they're like you're but your whole thing is about you not being male or female and I'm like well No, I just talk about it sometimes. And then you think that that's all I'm about. Um, and if you listen to actually what I'm saying, gender is gender constantly changes and moves. So I can never say what I'm going to be in 50 years. That's a question I get a lot as well. People are like, what are you going to look like when you're 60? I'm like, I don't know. Why do you care? 
Who knows? <laughs> it wouldn't it be boring to know? Yeah. Like, well, I guess I'd be wearing a brown suit instead of a black suit. Like, oh. Yeah, it's no. like, they always ask me that because of, um, I think it's rooted in like an idea of like, you can't look this and in, in their minds, they're thinking, you can't look this weird at 70. You'll look like a pervert. <laughs> I, I genuinely think that's what they're thinking. I think what yeah. they're saying, the, it all boils down to what they're actually asking you is, okay, so you say you don't fit into either of these boxes. Fine. Okay, so what is the box? Oh, okay, non-binary and this look and these rules. Cool. And then when you say, oh, no, it might change, you're basically saying, oh, but there are no boxes. And then yeah. people get angry and frustrated because no, 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 no. We just found out what box I could put you in. I've just created the box in my head. You can't start telling me that there are no boxes. Yeah. But there are no boxes. It's, it's just... People have too much time on their hands. Do you know what I mean? We're just living pure rent-free in other people's minds. And I, I for one, love it sometimes. <laughs> What are your, um, what do you want to talk about that isn't that? Like, what, what are your sort of, oh, I, you know, what, what would you like to be asked about? I love talking about silly, like, just being silly. Like, I am silly. I'm, I'm stupid. Like, I, not in like a, not in like a Karen kind of way. Like, I'm cuckoo, but just like a, um, you know, like, I, in the book, I try and be quite funny. I try. I'm just. I just talk how I speak. I, I keep it very light. Um, and recently, I filmed uh, a series with Iway um, called "In Their Shoes," and it was a chance for me. And we, I co-produced it with their team, and it was a chance for me. And I sat down with them at the beginning, and I was like, "I want this to just be stupid." because I I'm sick of doing stuff that is heavy and I was like we can have heavy conversations but I'm sick of it not being on my terms and I think for me moving on like having conversations that are just almost boring do you know what I mean like or just like I'm gonna say silly again silly um like we had the amazing Tom Allen on Oh, and just amazing. You know, amazing and just sitting down with him and just like having an absolute like natter like a cup of tea chat um and I think for me personally like in terms of my job and looking at stuff that I'd like to talk about like being a host and being a presenter is something that I'm finding very uh very fun very enjoyable because it's got all the best parts of what I do in I can have a bit of my personality there just to sprinkle on top but I get to listen to other people. I get to have conversations that I don't normally have. And um, I get to wear something ridiculous. So it's, it's, that's what I like, you know, moving forward. Conversations with other people are what I want to hear more of. I'm sick of my voice. Enough of me, please. What are you, what are you if you had to host a documentary on anything, what would you be the most curious about? And you you know, like, if you said anything other than anything to do with gender, the stations would be like, oh, no, actually, we would like for you. But, but if that wasn't a thing and producers weren't annoying, what would you look into? I think 
I mean, it's slightly, it's, I guess it's related to gender a lot, but one thing that I've always could never wrap my head around is this idea of monogamy. Ooh. And dating. I yeah. find it, I mean, from my experiences, it's a, it's a very inaccessible entity that is often seen as very disposable for most people. So I personally don't feel like I can get involved in it because of um, my gender identity or the way I look or just, you know, things like that. Um, whereas for a lot of other people, you know, like the Love Island crowd and like cis white heterosexual people, it's a very disposable entity. So I'd love to talk about, I'd love to find out more about that and really dig into like why people are so invested in monogamy and why people would like literally spend their lives trying to find their other half because I just find it such a foreign concept. What's your own relationship with relationships? <laughs> um, I, I, I think, I think I um, maybe what's the word? Like trick myself a little bit by saying that I don't want a relationship because I, you know, I probably would. If someone came along and was like, "Do you want to hang out for a bit more?" I'd be like, "Go on." Um, but it's just never been something that I've had. You know, I always remember being. Uh, like at school going to like house parties or hanging out with people and then um, basically spending the whole evening like trying to get with people or being like, oh yeah, we're together or like it's just being couples and me being like, why can I, why am I not allowed to have any of this? Um, and Tom Allen actually said, said something really interesting in our chat about how for like queer people, we we tend to have that kind of, teenager relationship with relationships in our like mid twenties and late thirties, because we, we never had it then when we were young and now we kind of experienced it. Um, I wrote about a, a brief relationship in the book. Um, and I did actually, it was, <laughs> it was quite stressful because I was like, I really want to write about this relationship. It was my first ever relationship it was only three months um but when I was writing I hadn't spoken to them for about a year so I was like I need to ask their permission um so just like completely out of the blue I just rang them and I was like hi um I was like I'm writing a book would you mind being in it like I'm literally going to go from like day one to day 100 of our relationship and they were like they're like, no, that's fine. And they were like, really up for it. And they even just like gave me like a quote to add in about like a summary of the relationship. That's amazing. Like, Here's my uh, review of our time together. Um, <laughs> I hope they enjoy it. Um, I was quite mean <laughs> in the, not in the relationship, but in the book. Uh, <laughs> probably in the relationship. Um, but yeah, for me, relationships are just and just almost alien. Was I, that a monogamous I, relationship then? So that was 
So they were polyamorous. So they had a partner. Um, and then I was also there. Not at the same time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they, yeah, so I talk about that inside. And I kind of, it's my, I've never really been, been in a polyamorous situation before. Um, and one interesting thing that I kind of processed was it's a very different thing to realize that monogamy doesn't work for you but it's a completely other thing to then just be like I'm gonna go into a polyamorous relationship like you need to work I realize there's a lot of work you need to do in yourself first before you are just like yeah this is gonna work because you know we're socialized to be monogamous unfortunately do you think it's the same as with the boxes because that's how I see it is people have this need to say there is enemy, acquaintance, friend, crush, lover, boyfriend, husband, whatever. And there's no, well, I I genuinely believe that there are as many types of relationships as there are relations between two people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I could meet someone and with that person, I would want, and it would work for us to have a monogamous relationship, but with other people, Nah, we would probably work better in sort of a polyamorous situation. And and in the same way as I have friends who are, you know, I only talk about weird things every third month. And I have friends that I talk to every single day about dark, detailed stuff. And I think it's the same with relationships where you can't, this idea of there is one person and it is the opposite of the gender you were assigned at birth. And you know, then you are together till you are 90 or it has failed. You know, it just feels so restrictive and it doesn't feel natural at all. It doesn't, it, it sets, I think it sets you up for failure. It makes you feel like if at any point it goes wrong, you have failed. And it's like, I don't understand that. And I think one revelation that I, I had that I experienced after that relationship was that for me, it was about de-pedestaling romance as the like top of the relationship pyramid and being like, actually, um, if your friends are willing, you can find everything that you would need from one person, from a group of people that, and that is absolutely fine. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at now. I, I get nearly everything from, uh, my friends, my friends, and I don't have any yearning for a, a partner because it's like I, I'm content. So how do you feel when you do see stuff like Love Island? Is it a, sort of just a wonder and a curiosity, or I actually get really frustrated. I get angry. Oh yeah. In a way, not at the people. Um, <laughs> Not specifically at the people, but just because, you know, although I'm content now with not being in a relationship, that doesn't mean that I don't have kind of troubles or hardship with it. or I find it difficult, you know, because I I do, I would like a relationship, but it's difficult to, for me, to access that. So I think seeing things like Love Island or seeing people discussing relationships a lot of the time in an incredibly disposable manner I find quite difficult because it's like 
it's, it's privilege at the end of the day. They have, they're very privileged in being able to just essentially cherry pick people they want to go out with. Whereas I will have like one or two people that find me attractive a year, <laughs> um, which I know isn't true. Everyone finds me attractive, but <laughs> you know, in terms of actually dating, uh, it's, it's like a needle in a haystack. This is a formal advert. Um, if anyone is listening, I'm an author now. So, you know, you can have some of the royalties if you want. How big of a percentage of the royalties are you willing to, <laughs> to <What>? give up? <laughs> you can have 1%. Wow. Wow. And when you have 100 partners, that's you have nothing left for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I Because I... I I only get angry when it comes to Love Island and stuff like that. I only get angry when people who are well-meaning start talking about how, oh, we need more plus-size people in there. We need more quick. You're like, no. Do you have any idea how horrific and traumatic that would be for that person and for us to watch? Yes. I don't need to see a fat girl getting rejected on TV so that I can relive my entire teenage years. And people think it's such, it's like, no, no, no. Th- these are fictional people who live in a very different world than what I live in. And mm. I just want to see these <laughs> conventionally attractive, boring, hot people make out and get their emotions hurt. And it's all very nice, but I don't want any part of it. Like these people hate me and I don't want to think about how much they hate me and they would kill themselves if they were me. And I think, I don't think people understand how inaccessible that space is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's an example of um, also of like how representation isn't always good. I think a lot of people see representation as like the, t- the top, again, the top of the pyramid of being like, we've done it. This is brilliant. But it's like, actually, you know, from experience, it's, it's, it can be awful. It doesn't necessarily mean that anything changes. It can almost exacerbate the problem because you are then exposed to all the hatred. Mm-hmm. You get to see it for yourself. Whereas before you were slightly naive to it. I was going to, so before we, we round up, there's a, you, to me, you are so much of your strength. Maybe strength is the wrong word. Like your, your impact, your, what makes you so powerful in just your existence is your vulnerability. You have this sort of strength through vulnerability, vulnerability through strength thing, which I don't know. I don't know. Is that, yeah. Is that a, it just, it sounds a lot like a right wing sort of thing to say <laughs> for the vulnerability through strength. Uh, but that's not what I mean. So uh, w- what is your relationship with vulnerability and how do you, do you use it? Are you aware of it? Yeah. Um, just before I answer, is there anything? Is there anything I'm not allowed to talk about? No, I don't think so. No. Yeah, cool. Um, I think for me, being being vulnerable is like a is it's a necessity. It's a human. It's a human need. Um, and I think through social media, a lot of people think it's wrong to be vulnerable online but I think 
for me, I'm, it's incredibly helpful for me to do that when I'm ready to and when I want to. More so for me than anyone else. You know, I always, and, and it sounds, sorry, there's a funny noise. Um, and it's that, it sounds, it sounds conceited, but when I'm being really raw and vulnerable online, if it helps someone else, that's a benefit. That's a part of the motivation to do it. However, for me, it's because it's closure or something. It's, it's being able to see closure for myself, but also sometimes when you're going through situations, they can feel so isolating that seeing other people being like, I've, I've got you, you've got this is, is nice. We can't lie about that. People, we, we like that. Um, and, you know, over summer I spoke about that and I spoke about my experience with uh, sexual assault and, and, and that experience. And it was such an isolating time <clears throat> that I was like, I need to talk about this purely to get it out of my head. And also it was great to just, well, it was great and awful to hear how many people were also like, I got you, like, I feel you. Um, so yeah, it's, I say to anyone that wants to do that and, and be vulnerable online on their own terms, do it on your own terms. Don't do it because you want validation. Do it because you, you want support. Um, and do it because it will make you feel better. Like closure is important. Um, I think if you're autonomous about it, that's, that's fine. You know, I'm writing at the moment a piece for the next issue of gay times about it's going to be essentially my victim impact statement that I would have read out in court if it had gone to court. Um, and I'm working with my therapist at the moment to go through it. And, you know, he's like, this is your closure, you know, However, your closure forms, I think it's important to not let other people dictate the reasons behind why you're doing it. I think a lot of people could be like, you're doing this because of this, or you're doing this because you want attention. It's like, well, you know what? Yeah, I do want attention for this because I'm writing about something that I want people to read and I want people to listen to. That's why I've shared it. For some people, that won't work. For some people, they want to write it in their diaries and keep it to themselves. Absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a necessity for me, I think. And, if, all people, and if people do do that, boundaries is so important because just because you've been vulnerable once about a thing doesn't necessarily mean that you then are just open for anyone to get access to anything. And I think it's whenever I've been vulnerable about a thing, I will sometimes get people in my DMs being incredibly intrusive about something mm. like oh do you think maybe your grandfather this this is like um this doesn't mean that from now on there's a doorway into my soul that you can just barge into yeah. i've given you this because that is what i'm giving you <clears throat> and it can be kind of hard as a 
as that person who's given a lot to then say, no, just stop. Like yeah. this was it. And how, are you good with boundaries like that? I seem like it. I'm quite good. I do feel quite, there's still quite a large part of me that feels bad when I don't reply to people. Um, because yeah, I had that exact experience when I spoke about, um, you know, being raped <laughs> over summer, uh, essentially. And I spoke about the experience of being a rape survivor in the criminal justice system. I had so many messages from people that I don't know basically explaining their situation and you know some people I can't say that they were sharing too much information with me but I think it's boundaries you you know if I have just shared this with the internet I appreciate that it's resonated with you to, to make you feel comfortable enough to speak to me about it. however I, I do not owe anyone a response um and I think the best people, the best people who know boundaries are, are the people that see something that's going on, message you, and are like, babe, I'm holding space for you. I've got you. If you need anything, I'm here. Like people, you know, it's just respect. Um, so, yeah, I try and be strict. My favorite, I always say this, my favorite function on Instagram is to go into the requests and just not even look at any of them and just delete all. Even if there could be the best job opportunity in there, I've deleted it now. I'll never know. It's gone. Oh, I one day, one day I'll be able to do that. <laughs> it is horrible. I do feel awful. I'm like, I, I do it like this. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, I'll sometimes I'll read and it'll be four or five really nice ones in a row, and I'll be like, this is great. I love communicating with my community, and it's great. And then there'll be some message that will just stick with you forever and you're like uh and you wonder if it's worth it for the nice people for that one message that's going to really annoy you yeah and i think as soon as that balance becomes like it's always like just just on the edge and i think as soon as that balance goes the other way i'm doing the same thing but at the moment it's better than it's bad but still <laughs> yeah no uh, i do feel bad because i i you know i i, I delete I'm sounding like an awful person. I don't just delete everyone's messages, but like, you know, that they're in the request for a reason. We, I don't know you, I'm afraid. Um, and you feel like you can consume something from me. Even if that's a nice thing, it took me a while to realise that, you know, I don't need to engage with everyone all the time. Um, preservation of time and space is important. So, Goodbye. If you're listening and you've never got a response, you were in the deleted request, I'm afraid. <laughs> I, create, I created a page of my, of my website, like unlinked, where it's it's the heading was, so you're getting this link because you've asked me about something I've already answered. Here are how you can pay for that information. So it's like my podcast or my Patreon or my book or here are some articles that I wrote for free and some things. So I really hope you get your answer from this. Yeah. And usually people get really pissed off. I'm like, oh, okay. So what was it that you actually wanted? Did you want to know this? Or did you want me to personally take time to explain yeah. this very simple thing? And that, again, it's the thing of, you know, you have a voice in your head saying, oh, you're such an asshole right now. 
But on mm. the other hand, who, who are you? You wouldn't go up to a person in the cafe and sit down and go, okay, so explain gender. Like, who yeah. are you? I don't know you. Yeah, like, go, yeah, leave. Yeah, I'm doing something. <laughs> I'm yeah. having brunch. Can I just say that your Patreon, you are the only person that I think is nailing it. Oh, really? <laughs> Honestly, you and Scotty, I'm just like, I, you, you two are the inventors of Patreon <laughs> in my eyes. I am enjoying it so much. I and, love having a Patreon just for me. I've always had one for the podcast, but that feels different. It feels more transactional. Yeah, no, it's great. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> Everyone go and subscribe, please. Please do. I'm giving like a, a flat tour soon of my new flat. Yeah. And signed <laughs> photos of your face. You know, so many. It's 280 that I'm sending out on Tuesday. They're in the background in my hallway. It's really bad. It's just oh like, a, it's like a stack of photos of myself. Okay. So I asked you the last question the last time you did this, but I, as you say, a lot of stuff has happened. So I'm just going to ask you again. Uh-huh. And you can be, you can answer whatever you want. Meaning, you can also just be silly if you want to be. Okay, I'm just, I'm just plugging myself. Oh right, I don't know why I thought it was a cat. I was like, oh, you're showing me a cat. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. is that you? So you have a. Well, when is your book out? <laughs> I just thought it's your book, isn't it? Yeah. Um. It is out on the 21st of October. Why do I not have a copy yet? I know. A special friend copy. <laughs> Last question. You're in the delivery room now, 23, and you have just been born. Little Jamie, zero years old. And tiny Jamie, oh, they're crying and weeping because there's lights and sounds everywhere. They were just in the womb where it was all nice and dark and comfortable. And they're you know, you're holding them and they're looking at you and they're saying, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I, I felt like when I, when I sort of came to consciousness in the womb, I realized this is going to be nice. Whatever I've been plopped into here seems amazing. But now it seems pretty chaotic and loud and what is happening? What? And, and they look at you and they're like, so I can see you, you and me in 23 years. So you must know what's what's in in hold for me what is this going to be like is it just this for the next 23 years of loud noises and people everywhere or what's going to happen what's going to happen to us what would you say to teeny tiny baby you teeny tiny baby i would say you're going to have a great time but what's going to happen is you need to remember to Enjoy your life and that all of the things that you enjoy as a child, don't forget that when you're older, you can still enjoy those things and you don't have to monetize them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I say, don't, don't forget about the joy that you have when you are experimenting with yourself when you are a teenager, because it's going to get a bit scary in a bit, but don't forget how fun it is to just have a laugh. So 
say that the baby is looking at you and the baby is saying, but I can't change anything because it's already happened. So are you saying that I'm going to forget to have a lot of fun until I reach a certain age and I will miss out on a lot of fun that that should have been easier for me? And what will then happen? Will I eventually learn to have fun? You will eventually, yes, you'll eventually learn to embrace your fun, but try and do it earlier because otherwise it's just going to be boring. <laughs> that was a great answer, too. <laughs> so, so you know how to do it now? Just, I'm, I'm just learning. Learning, just learning now. 23 years on. I'm yeah. excited about asking you that in another two years, where you are <laughs> with your fun. Um, plug your book. Plug my book, stressful. Um, <laughs> I do want to plug my book because for some reason, Reese Witherspoon is above me in the trans chart. And I don't understand why. Is she what? a secret identity? Um, but so... <laughs> my <laughs> out on the 21st of October available in independent bookstores in the UK um, all good bookstores in the UK I believe and online um, and in the States and you can also get the audible version read by yours truly on the same day um, do enjoy Gaze the Word in London and lots of your LGBT indie bookstores have signed copies Um, and it's only 200 pages. You can whip through that in a week. Use it to put your mug on. And if you, if you will buy it, pre-ordering is really, really good. And I'm not really sure why, but that is what they tell everyone who's a new author. They make it very clear that pre-orders can make or break the book. Yeah. If you're even considering it, pre-order it now. Please pre-order. And it's only, how much? It's only 12 quid. <laughs> if you've got I, Prime, it's a little bit cheaper. I feel like it says so much about, about you that the way you sell your book is, come on, it's not that long and it's not that expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of saying, it's a really fucking important book about gender. <laughs> it's funny, it's relevant, it's essential reading if you want to know anything about gender. Yeah, it's funny. It's it's got tales of debauchery. It's got about how I got to a place of wearing stupid clothes that I wear, um, things I've never said before, and I hope you like it. I'm sorry it doesn't have a hardcover for some reason. I wasn't allowed one. <laughs> <laughs> That's unfair. Um, any uh, social media? Anything else you want to plug? Where people can find you? Um, so you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Jamie underscore Windust, like winning and then like dust. Um, and then um, you can also check out my new series on IOA on YouTube, which is called In Their Shoes, which is available now. Amazing. What's going to happen now is I'm going to say thank you and goodbye, but then we're going to take a three second break. And then I'm going to ask you five extra questions for the extra bit on Patreon. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. So now I'm going to say 
Thank you and goodbye. Thank you for listening and thank you so much to Jamie for stepping up and being a guest on my podcast. I very much appreciate it. As always, if you want to hear more from Jamie, you can either go back and listen to their first Made of Human podcast appearance, which I want to say that it was episode around 130. I'd go back and I, f- I want to say January, but I don't <laughs> That is a pure, purely a guess. Uh, I just remember what flat I lived in when we did it. So that must be two years ago, a year and a half ago. Or you can just search for the name and this isn't necessary. I do apologize. And please do pre-order their book. I just did it. Shameful to say that I had not already done it, but I have now. I was greedily hoping to get like a a friend copy, but it's not always that authors have complete control over who gets a free free copy. Also, I, oh, I punched the microphone. Also, I want to support them. So I pre- I'm pre-ordering friends' books. Can I also recommend, you know, Mark Watson, former guest. We do an episode every new year talking about the year that has passed and the year that has come. I feel, feel like this New Year's Eve is going to be... Yeah. <laughs> hmm. You know, because this year has been... Uh, <laughs> <sighs> Anyways, Mark has written an incredible book called Contacts. And I got to read a version of it that where it wasn't even a book. It was I had to print it out. I didn't have to print it out, but I wanted to. I printed it out, killed a rainforest, and it was worth every single rainforest that died from that because it is such a good book. It's about a guy who um, decides to commit suicide and then sends a message out to his entire phone book and then turns off his phone. And I, I don't know what you're going to be reading about it, but take it from me. This book is about so much more than what it might say on the cover. This book is about connection. This book is about coincidence. This book is about... Like with all of Mark's books, it's about humanity and humanness and time and the present. And I, it's hard to explain. It's a, I read it all in one go. I could not put it away. And that comes out at the end of October. I want to say the 29th. So please do go and pre-order that as well and, uh, and enjoy it because it's so good. And he deserves to, um, he deserves to do well. You know that because you also love him as much as I do. Also, I want to say thank you to the people who have supported me on Patreon in this past month. And before that, thank you very, very much. This is a strange time to be doing anything in. And if you are not a patron, but you feel like this podcast has ever brought you anything good, or if you feel like you've gotten anything out of it, or if it has even just kept you company for a bit while you needed company, then do go to patreon.com forward slash Made of Human Podcast? No. Mopod. The short, <laughs> the short version. M-O-H-P-O-D. And, uh, you can support with whatever you want per episode. And if you give five dollars or more, you become, uh, you, you can have your name read out loud on the podcast. Uh, if you, so I, what I've done now is I have started a Patreon for me as a, as a human, as a creator of all of the things, you know, of my Instagram lives, of uh, uh, writing, of 
everything. <laughs> Me as a person creating things, uh, a lot of which is free on the internet. So if the aspect of this particular type of Patreon, where you pay, you know, the, the Made of Human podcast, which is per episode, and it's in dollars because I don't know how to change it, and all of those things, if that all seems like too much... Feel free to go to uh, patreon.com forward slash Sophie Hagen, S-O-F-I-E-H-A-G-E-N. Uh, there is a monthly fee, so you can choose choose to give $5, no, £5 a month, £10 a month, £15 a month, blah, 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 whatever you want. But if you want to stay here on this Patreon, that's absolutely glorious. And I appreciate it and love you. <laughs> now, I will say the names of the friends of the podcast, the VIP list, the people who are giving with uh, $5 or more per episode um, for the Made of Human podcast. Now, we're up against time because I have a cake in the oven and uh, I do think, uh, well, I don't know how long it needs, so I need to run out and make sure I check on it. But I want to give you the time that you deserve for being amazing supporters. So thank you so, so much to the following wonderful people. Thank you to Amy Melody, Andrea Cabo-Rogan, Andy Walker, Anna-Marie Hepburn, Barry Norton, Beth Payton, Cherry Winter, Claire Fletcher, Daniel Reifersheet, Deborah Cody Say, Dieter Brunberg Jensen, Emma Chan, Fenella Dunn, Privacy of Soros, Aurora Teratops, Galway Cass, Georgia, Gillian Davidson, Harold Van Dyke, Harry Minot, 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 Helen Jarena, Isabel Johnston, Jenny Kratz, Joe, Joe C, Catherine Williams, Katie Hatfield, Katrina Pillarsen, Kirsten E, Kirsten Davidson, Lindsay Bushniak, M Dash, Maeve Hulihan, Maury Fraser, Megan Roberts, Paul Swaddle, Pierre Fenne, Rachel Furley, Ragdoll, Rianne Rivers, Robert Knowles, Robin Kapper, Ruth Flory, welcome, you seem, you sound new, Ruth Flory, love you, Samantha Kitson, Sarah Ellett, Sarah Plumer, Sheena, Sheena Machette Cole, I feel like that's new as well, welcome. Uh, Simon James, Victoria Greer, Victoria Layton, and Zoe Stephenson. Thank you to all of you wonderful people. And if you want to join, that is patreon.com forward slash Mopod, M-O-H-P-O-D. You have been wonderful. I am very excited to get this podcast back on track so it comes out every single Wednesday. Fingers crossed that that will happen very soon. Uh, but as for now, I just want to say a massive thank you to Jamie for being an, for being an incredible guest. And thank you to Dave Pickering for the patience and for editing this episode to Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle and to Justine McNichol for the logo. This podcast was produced by me. Speak to you next Wednesday. Bye. Oh.